You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with always... Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1989 cyberpunk body horror classic. Full Metal Katamari Tetsuo's Revenge. Close. Tetsuo, the Iron Man. But first up on the show, I'd like to give a sincere thanks to a recent donation from our good listener, Chris Carr. To anyone that's ever donated to the show, you have my heartfelt thanks for that. That's definitely something that you do not have to do. Uh, the show is always going to be free. and We're always going to end up buying or supplying awesome movies that strike our fancy. But of course, it definitely helps out with requests or strange films from far far off lands that are impossible to fucking find yeah um as as any of our loyal listeners will know that uh lydia and i both don't like to steal media uh we like to get the either digital purchase or have a physical copy sometimes the things that people are requesting are a little bit harder to find and so it always helps like look this was our idea so we're happy to do that but anytime we get a little boost from you guys, it's it's a really, really touching. And so thank you very much. Unlike a lot of podcasts who are continuously drumming up for donations and support and things like that. You gotta um, do what you gotta do. Yeah. They also sometimes uh, are privy to screeners as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times that give and take is sort of off balance. Well, we're not privy to screeners, unfortunately. Very <laughs> rarely are we. And sometimes when I am privy to a screener, it's not something that fits for the show. It's something that I'm personally watching for a friend or watching for other purposes, right? Mm -hmm. So that said, if anyone wants to send us screeners, please feel <laughs> you, free. You know, when I was writing a lot for the website, when Spider Pictures was just a little baby, I really tried to align myself with a lot of indie horror and a lot of Canadian productions and people who were making these movies were always incredibly generous and would uh, send me those movies. And I would make sure it wouldn't skew my review of the movie uh, whatsoever because I feel what's the point. But I also don't I wouldn't be like overly vicious because of the fact that they gave me a movie. So if, for example, I got a movie and, you know, maybe the production value was a little eh or or whatever, I would always say, OK, let's put budget aside and let's talk about how this was actually made and and where what's the story because since I'm a big story guy anyways yeah. I don't really care if a movie doesn't have the best production value if the story is really solid I'll still say it's good and I'll still recommend it to people and fortunately I like I I, I never really was given a stinker at all I remember one time one of the worst movies I ever got I won it so I didn't. So I won it from uh, Rue Morgue. Oh, I was actually. Gonna say, did you win it from Ottawa Horror? No, I <laughs> no. I I won it from Rue Morgue. Gosh, what was its name? Gosh, I don't know. I became well, Jimmy Olsen there just for a second. Gosh, well, jeez, Wes. Let's gee. not drag him through the mud. <laughs> gee whiz, what was it called? It had like this weird, lofty distinction of having the Guinness Book of World Records for most on-screen kills. While you try and remember what movie it was, when I was with Ottawa Horror, we'd get screeners and 
typically Anchor Bay. Anchor Bay was extremely generous. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our giveaways were, you know, they'd send us like five DVD Blu-rays of like whatever, right? Um, it unfortunately, it would be sometimes things that weren't necessarily horror. And they'd preface it with like, this isn't necessarily horror, but it has horrific elements. So here's five copies of Snow White and the Huntsman. <laughs> I was fine you, with that. Or you got uh, Battleship one time, I remember. Battleship, that. Yeah. I was like... What? Why? <laughs> it's like... It's like it's a movie based around a game. Horrific enough for you? <laughs> Horrifically boring. That was a, a, like the best gag gift ever, though, because it would be like, <laughs> and you get a copy of Battleship, and the groans would ensue, and someone would unfortunately win it and be hilarious. You gave me one of those. Like a rubber chicken. Like a rubber chicken. <laughs> Thank you, Anchor Bay, for the rubber chickens. I think it was Anchor Bay. But yeah, uh, they also... Wrong turn four because mm -hmm. they just we noticed that you like wrong turn a lot. Here's here's wrong turn to review, which was really cool of them, but yeah, totally off topic. Um, but back to on topic, which is off topic, not Tetsuo yet. Donations, this is horror, a podcast that I listen to because I listen to a lot of podcasts. They have a new Patreon testimonial video going up, so if you're interested in horror authors and horror books you can check that podcast out and take a look at my testimonial because i'll be featured on that video which i think is pretty cool absolutely i mean talk about people that do a better job than we do have a really nice following and uh well they're no bind torture cast well they're no bind torture cast very few people are i wonder if someone could start playing a drinking game to how many times you mentioned bind torture cast they wouldn't get that drunk because it's not often enough well, what happens is when you say bind torture cast, and by the way, every time we're saying it, someone's taking a drink, you have to chug half the bottle of uh, vodka. Oh, I thought you were going to say Javex. Um, <laughs> Why would it be Javex? So watch me ramp up my fucking name dropping of bind torture cast every goddamn 10 fucking minutes. <laughs> and it'll be utterly random, too. You'll be talking about this, like, fucking drill rape kill, and I'll be like, that reminds me a lot of... Recent Bind Torture Cast episode. Well, I could talk about Bind Torture Cast for one moment. <laughs> <laughs> Enough about Bind Torture Cast. Now, about <laughs> Bind Torture Cast. No, but guy, seriously, about Bind Torture Cast. <laughs> I got nothing except listen to all their episodes. I mean, the most recent one and the Darling episode, which is brilliant. We're talking about black and white films today. Darling was a black and white film that came out just recently. A wonderful fucking film and it really does something to elevate that aesthetic out of like truly just indie no fucking money uh don't know how to color balance filmmaking to black and white as an actual art form and there were many moments in tetsuo when i really enjoyed the fact that you know they could be using who knows what elements as like visual and creature design in this film it could be any fucking color but because it's black and white it saves it because it would look really weird in color i think yeah absolutely yeah so we are doing the 1989 film tetsuo the iron man an early body horror movie out of japan not the earliest examples of body horror that exist within the genre not at all i'm mean, you have movies that go uh, way farther back than that, Eraserhead in the 1977. Uh, this movie that's uh, directed by Shina Tsukamoto, he drew inspiration from Akira. 
I kind of get where he would get inspiration from Akira from this movie, but it's really only very basic aesthetics in certain scenes. Not you're not going to be you're not going to watch this movie and be, oh, yeah, Akira. Yeah, I know. And a little bit of name sharing. And it's sort of like, OK, I can see where the the pain and torment that Tetsuo would have been going under is sort of linked sure mm-hmm. but other than that yeah it's entirely its own its own film but and it came out really shortly thereafter so he basically mm-hmm. watched akira and then was like grabbed a camera and ran out in the street and started filming tatsuo because it came out the year after mm-hmm. now body horror was something that i really wanted to tackle on the show and to be fair we've done things that get lumped together into body horror uh, uh, dead alive for example gets lumped into that category but i really wanted to do something where we're specifically talking about body horror and for those who don't really know it's basically any horror that talks about changes in the body either degradation of the body mutation of the body something like that and beyond the fact that you have a slasher that'll kill and destroy a body this is typically something where something is either growing inside you growing out of you uh this one specifically which is really interesting to me is about something animate becoming something inanimate and what that would do to your body. And it's interesting, sorry to to cut you off, like interrupt you, but it's interesting that they're using inanimate objects to portray that something animate becoming inanimate and to show that they're showing all of these they're giving animation and life to all of these regularly inanimate objects. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it takes it out of the ooey gooey Mm-hmm. Uh, body horror that everyone's so used to yeah when you're talking about body horror a lot of people will throw out society a lot of people will throw out uh, video drome or the thing alien even or teeth with teeth, Vigenet, Jitata, teeth. slither slither yeah, yeah that's another really good one uh, i really like slither um i didn't i've seen it three times it's fair it's fair i think that it Again, Slither, I don't want to get into a whole thing about Slither. That came out at a really weird time, and it's really an anomaly. For the era in which that movie came out, it's almost in the same vein as when we were talking a few episodes ago about Drag Me to Hell, when you're just talking about a movie that gets made and put out apropos of nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but Slither even more so, because you're like, huh, that's that's a very throwbacky tape. Yeah, and you're like halfway through it, like, and whether I liked it or not. Um, it does have its merits and you're, you get about halfway through it and you think, okay, no, this is actually n- not that bad. Like this has got a lot of like really cool suspense elements and some neat creature elements. And then from then on to the end, you're just like, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly did. Wow. This went from a Stephen King needful thing story almost to <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> So, yeah, we wanted to do body horror, but not in con- get into the ooey-gooey aspects of it. And I think Tetsuo falls into that. This is um, this movie is a little bit more art house than – well, not that I remember because I knew how it was. And I remember when we were talking about doing this movie, I actually was wanting you to watch it beforehand. And I was like, fuck you, ass, Fuck that. No way. I'm going to dry dog this shit. Yeah. Not only did she curse that much, she actually, guys, she fucking threatened to beat the hell out of me. So, Which isn't, this is all a lie, because I said that I was going to watch it a couple <laughs> times, and I just never got around to it. And which makes me wonder, all of my life, why did I waste so much time watching THX 1138 over and over again when I could have been watching Tetsuo? <laughs> what a waste of fucking life. <laughs> Every time I watch 
every time I, I see a movie that I'd never seen before that was out in my formative years, and I and and I'm like, oh man, this movie's amazing. I do have those moments about why did, have I seen Fern Gully eighty seven <laughs> times? <laughs> Fern Gully, I, I can't even I can't say that about Puss in Boots because I will watch Puss in Boots later, <laughs> for like the eightieth time. I've never seen it. Well, that is soon to be rectified. Oh my god, you guys! The idea of hanging out with you these days, where it's not about the show, seems weird to me. Almost kind of feel like we'd be sitting there, like, "What are we doing? We're not." Well, we have two choices. We can either go to the goth bar or we can watch Puss in Boots. That's really all I do outside of the show. <laughs> Speaking of the goth bar, Swizzles is a local bar that once a week has an industrial night, or almost once a week, not quite once a week, because there's kinder raves there, which are hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, I have actually seen Tetsuo probably about five minutes in fits and starts that I've noticed on screen because it was definitely used as a backdrop for some industrial dj i can't remember who exactly it was because mm -hmm. they show films as backdrop material there's a clip reel specifically made for this so i think that i've seen a good five ten minutes of this before you know that doesn't sound like much ladies and gentlemen but the runtime of, of this movie is 67 minutes 77 minutes with the the fully untamed unadulterated cut i've never seen that cut i'm assuming it's just got more rocket boots in it but 67 minutes, generally speaking. So this is a shorty. And not only is it short, and not only is it in black and white, it's shot on 16 millimeter. Uh, I'm short. I'm in black and white. This is perfect. No wonder I like this movie. Aside from all the huge drill cocks and the, like, yeah. red-looking dudes. and Yeah. So what is this movie even about? Well, Tetsuo starts out with a character that is really only referred to as the fetishist. He is a fella. That's got some peculiar interests, uh, but we don't kink shame around here, so I ain't calling him on nothing. But I'll tell you, he jams a metal rod into his thigh and bandages up. And I guess due to the pain, he passes out. Well, he wakes up a little bit later to a maggot-infested wound, and he wigs the fuck out. Well, who wouldn't? And bonus points to this film for using actual maggots and not mealworms or millipedes or whatever random bugs they could find. Uh, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if, given the fact that they were definitely shooting this in an actual garbage dump area, yeah. that they probably would just, like, look around, find maggots, please, and just collect them and then... Yeah, just flip open a couple garbage cans till you find maggots. Yeah, easy peasy done. They're probably like right there, like everything else used in this film is probably right there or from their crazy uncle's refuse shack. <laughs> so this fetishist is obviously freaked out and he runs out into the street. He's more uh, annoyed with the maggots, I think, than the fact that he put the rod in his leg because that, that was a very deliberate thing. And I, as a person who has... Let's just say, no, 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 I'm not even going to, no, I'm not going to exaggerate. A massive fear of maggots. Massive fear. I can't even, if anyone wants to hear me scream at the top of my lungs, put me anywhere near maggots and I will. So this is body horror working for you when you see his leg open and there's maggots on his flash? I mean, I think because it's black and white and they don't linger on it too much, it didn't really wig me out. But, man, do I not like maggots. 
fuck. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a problem with the maggots. I was, I was, I was excited to see actual maggots. I was excited to see, and it is a really, really short scene. But of course, it would freak someone out, even if they had jammed this metal rod into their leg intentionally for sexual gratification or whatever it is that he's mm-hmm. doing. Um, yeah. So poor fella. So he stumbles out into the street, gets hit by a car. And it's got some slow, sexy music. Most of the music in this movie seems pretty industrial. But every so often they'll put in this sort of... I don't even know how you when would describe they, it. When they're going back... At this scene, when they're talking about the front grill of the car, mm-hmm. and later on in flashback, they use the same music. But yeah, otherwise it's all very industrial. Very like throbbing gristle, fetus. Very fetus-like. Very early fetus industrial music and very nine inch nails it reminds me of the song pinion by mm-hmm. nine inch nails and you had said that this director is a huge nine inch nails fan yeah and by the time they get to the third installment 2009 2009 or 2010's uh tetsuo bullet man uh, yeah bullet man's the second one isn't it no the second one's hammer the, oh. the 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 hammer man oh, okay or something like that huh but the third one. By the third one, Nine Inch Nails uh, actually produces an original song called the Tetsuo theme, and apparently they ha- they the, the director and the, the the members of Nine Inch Nails were known to each other for a few years before that. Oh, so and- it's a mutual love, and it's like this, um, you know, appreciation shared from one artist to another. Sort of like how I like Blind Torture Cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose it is, but. Yeah, so I guess once you have this uh, professional respect, because you had you had said that this movie '89, I'm not exactly sure when the when Nine Inch Nails became like a thing. I mean, obviously I'm aware of their music, but I wasn't. Well, yeah, around that time he was probably in school. Uh, I'd have to like look at the Trent Reznor timeline that I've tattooed on this wrist. <laughs> and uh, like the song I'm thinking of didn't come out to like '90s. Two to ninety four. Yeah, so by the four, I think by by the time they uh, Nine Inch Nails was becoming a thing, but the second Tetsuo movie would have been out. But this is definitely an example of people who are influenced by each other, and then through mutual respect and their connections, because you know you become you're like, oh, I really like this director, and I really love this movie, and this stuff really inspired a lot of my work. Oh, guess what? I'm famous now. I can just go and talk to this director, and then. Obviously, if if a director is making this type of media, and he made three of these flicks, yeah, so it, it becomes this wonderful thing where, hey man, I like your work. Hey, hey guys, I like your work. Let's just do you want to do a song for the next movie? Because they would obviously be like, fuck yeah, we want to. Now I'm kind of picturing a little mopey emo Trent Reznor being like, <laughs> I made you this mixtape. <laughs> I really like your stuff. I'm fangirling so hard right now. <laughs> uh, it all comes back to J.G. Thirlwell, though, because um, he had been producing music in the early 80s a lot like this. If you go back to, like, mm-hmm. old fetus thaw, I think, or around this time area or this time period, and it's very, very similar. So anyone who enjoys the music of Tetsuo, definitely check out Fetus if you're not already a massive fan with your fetus timeline tattooed on my other wrist. <laughs> Yeah, I know the music and the music 
um, videos that are attached to like Nine Inch Nails and the Nine Inch Videos videos and specifically Happiness and Slavery, mm -hmm. you'll see a lot of um, similarities in the style here as well. And right away, that's what I was like, oh my God, this is just like a big long Nine Inch Nails fetus video. Mm -hmm. And you're not fucking lying. No. Because this really is strap yourselves in for a little over an hour of just you honestly, you could you could take a like a fetus album or a nine snails album and and mute the entire sound of of Tetsuo and just play the whole thing. I'm not just gonna say it's gonna be like um You could use like a lot of nine inch nails fixed. That would yeah. work really well for this. <clears throat> You could use the Clint Rune Lydia Lunch masterpiece Stink Fist mm -hmm. and listen to that with this as your visual backdrop and it would fit perfectly, way better than like Dark Side of the Moon and fucking Wizard of Oz. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, another thing like with this car crash scene, the oh. initial one where the music does change out of this lovely throbbing gristle-esque fetus Nine Inch Nails stuff that we're liking so much. Um, it is very much shades of Cronenberg's Crash. Mm -hmm. You'll see uh, quite a bit of that. It's almost like Crash is the grown-up, calm, regular person version of Tetsuo in a couple ways. Yeah, in a couple of ways. But it, it's it's uh, the way they describe it, cheesy romantic. Uh, like they're they're trying to go for like this. Oh, look at this car hitting you. Well, I guess like uh, as a metal fetishist, that's his. That's his ultimate fucking. What the fuck would you call that? Like orgasm right there. He just got mashed by 300 pounds of metal. Mm -hmm. So he's the happiest boy in the world. So of course he got this nice sexy music. Playing. You'd think he'd be the happiest guy in the world, but oh no. Because, well. He just got hit by a car? He got by, hit by a car and his transformation, as we'll find out later, is didn't really go according to plan. I mean, we know that he freaked out about the maggots is why he freaked out about the maggots, which is interesting to me. But what ends up happening to this cat is that he gets dumped in the woods, basically, by this couple. Yeah, quite unceremoniously. It seems that they're going to pile him in the car at first and take him to ER like you normally would if you've hit somebody with your car. But for whatever reason, they dump him in the woods and mm -hmm. then fuck. They do have sex and they go back to this... Uh, love scene a couple of times in the movie sorry every time uh i'm thinking about them making love my voice goes down and i don't even really know why but... because those scenes actually are them making love ish compared to all their other sex you want to know something i just feel like this guy is a really buttoned down business dude and he just found himself a girl that's a little bit more wild than him and really likes to have sex with them maybe she kind of gets off on the fact that they have a guy that they assume is dead looking in their direction because it's like he's watching us and she's kind of into it and she seems like kind of a wild fuck. So again, shades of crash. It's definitely um, a counterpart to crash in my mind now. Mm -hmm. it's so been welded there. Not unlike poor Tetsuo. We don't really know their connection to this crash just yet, but we meet Tetsuo as a mild mannered business guy. Mild mannered is actually pretty generous because he's pretty uh, twitchy dude right from the start. And you had said, um, early on in, in when we were watching this, and I had a feeling that you would, because of the way that the film is shot and be, how schizophrenic it is, you had thought, oh, this whole thing is like a complete... Oh, yeah, this is definitely all just a delusion, and there's just one dude walking off behind a dumpster in an alleyway. And none of this is happening. And you would 
there's actually things later on that support my theory. <laughs> so you you wouldn't be uh, uh, vilified for thinking that because there are a lot of things that would make you assume that. So Tetsuo sits down next to this woman, for example, and she seems mild-mannered just like him, just minding her own business, but she sees this bit of junk metal sitting on the ground and inside it, we see a, a, a blackened guy like covered in well, I, I'm supposed to make him look almost like like, like a little metal troll or something a little metal troll yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> living inside of this scrap metal and she goes to poke it and then all of a sudden she's been taken over by metal now we've seen that Tetsuo when he's not vaguely breakdancing and wigging out in a corner when he's shaving he's got a piece of metal that was sticking out of his face now he tries to remove it and it just erupts into blood and he knows that well this that's weird this metal seems to be growing from the inside out he just puts a bandit on his cheek and you go about your day because that's normal that's totally normal that's yeah yeah, yeah. and god damn it i have to go to work well, that I agree with, but yeah. Even his girlfriend says she feels funny after the hit and run. There's something, you know, you know, honey, after we hit that guy with our car and dumped him in the woods and then had sex in front of his corpse, I just feel weird. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? I have a piece of metal growing on my face. I can't pay attention to you right now. So now Tetsuo is running away from this woman who starts off as very calm, cool, and collected, then just becomes very wild. One of her hands becomes mechanical, or her hair turns goes... into Robert Smith. <laughs> oh my God, she's channeling her inner Robert Smith like you don't even know. <laughs> so and her face kind of transforms as well. A little bit. It's it's a bit of a, a makeup effect. I'm I'm assuming with the black and white, it kind of looks like her skin is taking on a metallic tone to it. Mm -hmm. So I would assume it's it's like a gray, silvery pallor. And there's ridges sort of coming out, and yeah, she there's things coming out from inside of her mm -hmm. that are metal in one way or another. And you and you're wondering to yourself at this point, you're like, is this in his head? What is going on? Because it's not entirely clear. What exactly is the cause of this? Zombies. Zombies, metal zombies. Metal zombies. It's not, you're not too far off. Now. I hate being not too far off. I hate <laughs> that I use the Z word anywhere near this film. I feel dirty. You're not dirty. What you are is trying to cobble together. What I just saw. What you <laughs> just saw, which is a very bizarre movie. So, but it's so fucking interesting. Now. All of a sudden, we actually encounter after after Tetsuo fights this woman off, and he manages to, through just berserker strength, wrestle this woman, kill her. Basically, I'm assuming he kills her, or remove like because he fucking like hugs her so hard, like fucking of mice and men style. Yeah, just that's exactly. <laughs> I was even quoting because I couldn't help it because that's how he <laughs> subdues her. He hugs her to yeah. death. Yeah. Yep. Loved her too hard. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, he goes back to his apartment where he actually does have a dream sequence because it's the weirdest thing. Well, it's the weirdest thing in the movie. That's a lie. It's one of the weirdest sequences in the movie that can almost seem like it's out of completely out of sequence. And especially when you get back into the meat of the film. But currently things have been ramping up so quickly. You're not exactly sure what the meat of the film is. So... He encounters his girlfriend, who is 
completely in body paint and coming out of her pubis. Yeah, her pubic mound, because it wasn't actually coming out of her vagina at all. And it wasn't coming out of her tummy. It was just basically growing out of her pubic mound. Yeah, so it's it's this big cord with a bulbous metal tip on the end of it. And he is now naked and prostrated before her on his hands and knees. And, and uh, you know, she's sort of dancing around him and, uh, and he's looking... Terrified, but vaguely into it. Who knows? Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Grace Jones bits from the movie Vamp. Yeah, and you had mentioned that when we were watching it, and I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very similar to her strip show, um, except with a giant metal go-go gadget cock. Because it basically is what I envision a go-go gadget cock to be like. Do you think that that's what Inspector Gadget's dick probably looks like? Well, it's got to. It looks exactly like what any part of... Inspector Gadget would look like and because I've never seen him outside of the coat and there was one episode where Dr. Claw had wrapped up for uh, Inspector Gadget in this big machine that was supposed to pull his gadgets out of him mm-hmm. and all it really did was kind of stretch his legs and his arms out and you know that his legs and arms are like cords and springs and shit and and it pulled his head too and so that wasn't really the extent of the gadgets because like so Inspector Gadget was like a complete robot, right? Or was he like a cyborg? I never understood. I'm not really sure. I have a friend that tries to hack a lot of Inspector Gadget, mostly because Penny tie- spends so much time tied up. That's why he's into Inspector Gadget. Oh, is that his deal? Yeah. Yeah. He thinks it's, it's, it's he would watch every episode just to see if Penny gets tied up. That's so he weird. a lot of time being tied up. To me, I was always obsessed with seeing what Dr. Claw's face looked like. That was like my whole – because me and my brother would be like, oh, I bet he's like a weird metal cat thing, like the symbol for mad. I never wanted to see him. Wow, that's interesting. I ne- it never dawned on me to care what he looked like ever at all or why Penny's tied up so much. Inspector Gadget's a dick, though, I thought about a lot. Well, I know because it makes you think – like I'd be – okay, because if he's a cyborg and he was a, he was a normal man once – they're like, we're going to put these gadgets in you. And a lot of them, we're going to be honest, are going to be hilarious. <laughs> so, and 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 you're such a bumbler. So it doesn't make any sense why you get the gadgets. But it also doesn't expect why you have roller skates or like bowling pins and chickens coming out of you all the time and shit. So you don't need a dick at all. So you don't need a dick because you're never getting laid. But just, cause I would just be like, you know what, guys? If I'm getting all these fucking gadgets in them, and they're mostly prop comedy, let's be real. Mm-hmm. Let's just fucking put the tiger on the table okay can we just fucking be real here can i have like a big robot dick that would be my demand if i was inspector gadget yeah it probably was his only demand don't even back to tetsuo and the big google gadget cock so she proceeds to fuck him on the butt and that thing goes up a long way yeah it's massive it probably comes out of his mouth probably and but then all of a sudden we're not doing that anymore goodbye weird scene because he woke up yeah, and now he's what I'm going to call Lydia's favorite scene in the movie. You got a couple oh, in the sake. throes of passion, really weird animalistic monkey sex, just all over each other, clawing and biting. Normal sex. I mean, I guess. Yeah. So Do they have sex, except except by the end of it, she literally is climbing the She's wall. climbing up the walls. <laughs> I don't know if she's trying to get away or if he's pushing her up there. I don't know. But either way, yeah, it's just – it's a decent sex scene. It's much better than the one in the woods because they're not staring at a dying guy. 
but yeah. It's true. But that's one of my latest and greatest fetishes. But there's a scene where he just... Have you ever been just cooking for your lady, listeners, or your fella, and just been so damn mad about it? Because <laughs> he, with steaming pot, fucking just like slams it down on their messy apartment, just knocking cans and shit over there. He's pouring sweat out of his fucking face. She looks haggard as fuck. And he's like... Just scraping the plate. I definitely expected him to grab her by the hair and slap a dog collar on her and chain her to the fucking pan and force her face in there to it eat. It almost seems like, like that. Really, that's that's how angry he looked and how, like, fucked up this scene was for four seconds. I know. But no, he's basically just going to jam the fork in her mouth with while she eats the food. And then her teeth are going to scrape against the metal. And, oh, shit. Speaking of latest and greatest fetishes, he's into it. That scraping of metal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like watching Lydia squirm. I didn't it's... like this scene. <laughs> I didn't like this scene at all. <laughs> it didn't sound very nice. And they do it a couple of times. Yeah, the fuckers. I hated every minute of it. I was actually squinching a little tiny ball with my hands over my ears. And if I could have had my hands over my eyes at the same time, too, what I need is four fucking hands. <laughs> Well, what this guy needed was to tame the beast because this has got him so aroused that his dick has morphed from a regular everyday penis into a turbo cock, turbo rotating drill. It's massive and it's scary and it's insane. And yeah, this whole scraping metal. And even when she's using her teeth on the little wiener or whatever they're eating, there's metal sounds there. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's, <laughs> I remember you yelling at the TV, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, it doesn't make any sense. And I was fucking fed up with the metal teeth sounds. Like you can make those sounds. It's just the visual of the teeth and it being around a mouth and stuff that's eliciting these sounds. That was fucking horrible. And the teeth on a fork. I want to punch this girl right in the fucking mouth. I swear, Lydia, I did not remember that that scene was in the movie at all. Lying piece of shit. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to get past this scene and I keep going back to it in my own mind. Every time I pick a movie, it always has some mouth thing in it that I'm just like, I wonder if this will get him. What about this? (laughs) Like Marquis de Sade. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you're doing a fine job, sir. But yeah. Um, it is quite sudden that he discovers that he has this massive rotating drill, drill cock, and mm-hmm. she doesn't seem very impressed by it at all. No, she's she. You know, I don't know if we've all been there, right, guys? Right? No, yeah, me either. Anyway, a struggle ensues. It's weird because there's par- there's parts where he's really aggressive and but it's, it's almost like i don't even know what to do with this thing because <laughs> what do you do with this thing because it can it like breaks through wood and shit so you can't you can't do anything with a with a lady with that thing it would fucking tear her up yeah i think he knows that though yeah and i don't think though, he's like dissuaded by that whole process no even though it's getting like precariously close to her nethers yeah she is not feeling it no why would you it's like that's not hot no, that's not hot at all. Considering the amount of sex that they apparently had, they seem to be a very sexualized couple and very, very into one another. She's absolutely not into getting fucking death raped by this drill cock at mm-hmm. all. So she does, like, 
anything to get away and anything to fight back. She fucking smokes him over the head. She pours like smoking hot food mm-hmm. on his face mm-hmm. and like hits him with the pan and everything. Well, this is actually just before that actually happens after his, we'll not call it his final transformation because he is continuously transforming throughout this film. But when all of a sudden his body seems to be erupting in metal through his shirt and and he's freaking out he'll separate himself from her and then i suppose upon his his next level of transformation when it's not just the the drill cock that he's got sporting she desperately wants to see him but he's trying to hide himself from her now again there's not, this is very quick scene so maybe they're separated for uh, a minute and a half two minutes tops yeah. before she forces the the forces the lock on the door that he has them in. So yeah, ex- she has to use her bare foot to brace herself against the wall. So I was like, teeth sounds and fucking bare feet? What the fuck? I know. It's almost like you know, like a chamber of horrors for you. Yeah, two bare feet. <laughs> <laughs> so when they finally get reunited, it is she is, is trying to assure him that she doesn't care and she can handle it. She can take it. Whatever has happened to you in this very brief short amount of time, she can still love him. Can she? Well, she doesn't scare easy, she says. And she just saw that he has a giant drill cock. So I guess she's right. I, I trust her. And she just really wants to make sure he's okay and see what's going on. Who wouldn't? It's true. But um, while it is a little bit too much than she could take because his transformation is horrific. The, the entire side of his face is just twisted, malformed metal. It is extended through his shoulder. He has become uh, quite monstrous. In his appearance, not as monstrous as he will be, where it'll be practically unrecognizable as anything that used to be a human being. But at this point, she's terrified of him and he is losing control of himself. And that is when she has to fight back. She'll she stabs him in the neck with a kitchen knife, like really deep, Mm -hmm, like almost to the hilt with a full like what? Probably a lemon inch blade. Mm-hmm. And he's bleeding profusely all over the place. And she manages to, to wrestle him to the ground, puts the boiling pot of shit on his face, like burns his face. And then uh, and then when she's straddling on top of him and the drill cock is just behind her butt and back, uh, she I, she's like into it now. Not, like she's like pulling the knife out of his throat and like licking his face and kicking him. And so... All right, like maybe, but well, she's definitely into some sort of strife and in death of some sort because, like their their typical lovemaking is quite strenuous and strange and um, sort of predatorial, and she definitely liked having sex in the bush over that dead body or supposed dead body, mm-hmm. the guy that they hit anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she definitely gets off on the strangest things. So I, it didn't strike me as unlike her at all to start making out with her somewhat dying boyfriend that she just stabbed in the neck. It's true. Now, look, if you were a normal businessman or businesswoman going through your day to day and all of a sudden you transformed into this metal monster, this is the ideal girlfriend for you because I guess she's fine with it. As long as you don't try and fuck her with your drill dick. Which she does. And like in in the throes of passion or whatnot, she dies by catastrophic body failure due to the drill um and now he's left covered in blood wondering what to do next and uh 
as more and more metal steams uh, to fuse to his body. Yeah, at this point, I started joking about it being like a Katamari. Yeah. Um, little did I know that it was the end game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it is sort of like Magneto gone awry. Mm-hmm. So. If you were like Magneto had like lost control of his powers or something. Yeah. Metal is being pulled to him. Metal around him is, is changing and malforming. He's... Uh, uh, real sorry about what he did to his lady because he puts her after he soaks in the tub. He puts his lady in the bathtub and puts a bunch of flowers around her and it's like, see, you're better, right? Kisses her with his grotesque drooling tube mouth, and I guess she's okay. She's not okay because she's super dead. But she's got a knife in her hand and he's got her all arranged. And I don't know what the end game for that was, but don't worry, she won't be there for long. The only other film that I've really seen a good representation of something like this, where it's like that mourning process as it is, it just won't even begin, where someone has either been privy to the death of their loved one or a part of the death of their loved one is uh, Jane's addiction film, Gift, where Casey Nicolai dies and Perry Farrell arranges her body with like flowers and like doll heads and bibs and bobs and like probably Mardi Gras beads and stuff like that yeah. in in the bed as almost like this huge Virgin Mary sort of reliquary. And it's extremely beautiful. It's the same sort of thing as having this like dead lover arranged in flowers and everything. It's really kind of cute. I think it's really precious. His last dying vestige of humanity. Is that what that is? Is that what we're supposed to get from that? It, it might be, but he doesn't have long to sort of deal with that because as more and more metal is coming onto him and he doesn't understand, he doesn't know what's going on. Is he being punished for something? Now us as the audience, we don't know yet that he was the one in the vehicle with his lady, but I mean, we know that now. So it be, so things become a little bit more clear for us. Yeah. Cause at the beginning, even though we've kind of spelled it out, what you see is the fetishist get hit by a car and you see all this sexy music and he's really like into the grill of the car and the metal. So that's what the focus as the viewer is. And you see, you know, pant legs, a, a glimpse of a man's face uh, with glasses on that could be anyone and a high, black high heel of a woman. It's not very, very clear that this is that couple. Until when they're on the phone and they're having a huge disconnect of a conversation that's basically moshi 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 moshi. Yeah, they just keep saying hello to each other over yeah. and over again. And then the girlfriend does say she feels weird since the hit and run. So we get like little hints, but it's not very clear whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And the metal seems to be coming from inside him and from around him and being attracted to him. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to tell exactly. If it was all just coming out from you, be like, oh, he's infected. If it's all coming from around him, it's like, oh, he's supercharged. Mm-hmm. He's now a magnet. <laughs> well, when the height of all of this crazy metal transformation is happening, we're talking metals getting pulled from every direction. Things that are organic are shifting to metal. Cats, for example, are getting absorbed into these balls of metal and 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 twisting and gnarling and howling in agony as this is happening. And the aesthetic, it looks kind of um, like a melted pewter almost everywhere. Like that's kind of like what you're looking at. Yeah, or really like if you've watched, um, you can envision like something rusting to the point that it's breaking down to dust in the 
fast motion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of like this ferrous oxide bloom over things, and then sometimes covered by a liquid metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really cool aesthetic, and it really helps to fuse that organic and inorganic in our minds and visually really, really, really well. We're given glimpses of, of another character who has gone through a lot of transformations since we last saw him. Now, the cast in this film is very small, so the, the first... bind torture cast? Oh my God, take another drink. Um, when you, uh, so you can, uh, for first time viewers, you could probably make the connection that this is a character that we've seen before. This is indeed the fetishist that we have encountered previously that was hit by the car, not actually dead. Now, there's really, the chase scenes, the traveling through the city are all done sped up. Um, and usually the characters get around with like their rocket heels and shit, which is a cool way to get around. They grow, they literally grow rocket heels. Now, this character, the fetishist, is not actually dead. And he has like, man, let me tell you, Tetsuo got a raw deal with how he's transforming because the fetishist looks so cool. The fetishist looks super cool. It's almost like the Tetsuo is going metastatic and it's really attacking like a cancer and it's not growing with any oh yeah really rhyme or reason where the metal fetishist, and maybe because he is a metal <clears throat> fetishist and seem to understand metal intimately mm-hmm. and, and love it. Because this is and what he was. Him. He this is what he was trying to become. Yeah. The, so, uh, even though we'll find out later that it's a flawed version of what it could be. Oh, completely. But but he did have some sort of reasoning behind what he was doing with the metal that he was putting into him. Mm-hmm. Unlike the accidental Tatsuo, mm-hmm. he had some sort of vision in mind, some sort of aesthetic vision as well, because his hair and his makeup, I suppose he's wearing makeup because they show him putting makeup on. Oh, he's getting glammed up. Yeah. He's like, I'm not getting my revenge unless I look good. Where it seems anyone else that has sort of this cooler aesthetic look to them, or even uh, some scenes of Tetsuo, like he doesn't have like makeup on. No. But neither do most of the other characters. But the metal fetishist... Definitely has makeup on. Yeah, definitely. He looks fucking fantastic. And uh, even his metal that's protruding through his skin is more subdued, less wild looking, more uniform, smoother. Uh, he he looks more like a cyborg, honestly. Like Edward Sirhans in a little way. Y- you know what? Yeah, yeah, that's a good call because of his hair, right? The way yeah. that it it, com- it comes out like Edward Scissorhands almost. But imagine if Edward Scissorhands' hair was actually looked to made like, oh, maybe it's like metal hair and stuff like that so it's a little sharper a little bit more shiny uh but still has the black aesthetic so and not only that but we have learned that the fetishist himself has powers not powers that tetsuo doesn't have but powers that he understands how to control yeah i was just gonna say it's definitely because he can control his powers and understands it and has spent more time with it and i hesitate to say research this because i think it's just really mishmash piece you'd think that if he had researched it the fatal flaw in his origin could have been avoided could have been 100 percent avoided yeah but it's just experimentation like yeah the first person so, to cook meat right yeah so like I, I think like he he maybe knew a bit but he didn't know the whole story yeah and so but what he does know is how to control his powers and what we learn is that uh, as um as he makes his way to Tetsuo's home, as Tetsuo is continually transforming, 
his girlfriend's body springs to life and then bursts into rust and rots away. And from within that, there is the fetishist, uh, probably like mocking him in a way because uh, this guy is able to transfer. That's what happened to the woman in the subway system. Uh, uh, he is able to ignite this metal infection with another people. And so he was able to animate and then thus, uh, I think for theatricality's sake, because he was already on his way there, but I think it's just a, a fuck you to the guy, which is weird because... It's like he got there and was like, I'm not just going to walk in the door. I'm going to walk out his girlfriend's chest. Yeah, yeah, like Because yeah. it, it has to be more theatrical. It has to be more damning. I don't know why he's blaming Tetsuo more than her. The jealousy. You think so? It's, it's, it's jealousy. Not jealousy of their relationship or their life beforehand or jealousy of their station in life that made them feel it was okay because they had a little bit of affluenza, I suppose, that they could fucking kill a dude with their car, drag him out into the woods, have sex over him and walk away from it. Um, it's just simple jealousy that his version of his experiment on himself mm-hmm. was flawed and somebody accidentally has become a second, you know, a 2.0 version of himself mm-hmm. that is not flawed and has no capability of controlling the power or any desire to understand it or use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very anime. Oh, it's super anime. And it's reminding me a little tiny bit of uh, Ajin Demi-Human that I'm watching right now. Mm-hmm. We've got other Ajins that are seeing newer Ajins that can't control their power, don't can, understand it. Can, can I tell you something really exciting? Oh. I'm also watching this series right now. Oh, isn't it? It's like totally my life right now. Yeah, I'm on episode seven. Anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it reminds me a little bit of that where mm-hmm. other people are watching these people who don't know how to harness or control their powers and the people that have powers, like I'm sure Tetsuo was looking at the fetishists at some times and be like, how is he doing that? Mm-hmm. It's very much, but I mean, you know, anime, there's all, uh, there's all kinds of examples of the, the um, idiot savant character who is typically a, a protagonist in a, in a power based anime where, where the, and then there's like, uh, secondary characters around them who've been training their whole lives to do this thing or 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 supposed to be the embodiment of this thing and yet this person who has these powers or abilities or this origin dumped on them who has no idea what they're doing dead is, man wonderland is an excellent example dead man wonderland dragon ball z bleach these are all series that have idiot savant characters and then characters that that you like you know, even Hajime no Ippo. Like, there's all these the characters that that are like, you know, it's like the Vegetas of the world, where, where they're just like super powerful and supposed to be super powerful. Yet there's a moron that doesn't even know why they're more powerful. Yeah. Than them. Yeah. So, so it's a jealousy play in a way. So okay, I get it. I get it. I feel you. I feel yeah. you on that. All right. Yeah. So anyway, um, the girlfriend's a palagoo. <laughs> she's a palagoo, and he walks over. It's a really cool scene, and I really like the effect uh, on it. Uh, really, um, really good. Anyway, um, this is where we get the full extent of what the fetishist is able to do. He, uh, because this is kind of the, uh, the interesting thing is he can control metal. Tetsuo is predominantly made of metal at this point. So he is able to throw him around. And, and since Tetsuo has no idea how his powers or abilities are supposed to work, he is completely at this guy's mercy who is just basically beating him to death and he's at the mercy of his illness that i keep pulling up other references and it's all i can do because this is all very fresh in my mind but i'm sitting there 
seeing how I would reference this film or how I would explain these scenes. And it's very lonesome death of Jordy Verrill. It's like he's being covered in like a moss suit, like in the second segment of creep show, yeah, the creep Stephen show, King yeah. one. Um, very similar to that. He doesn't know why it's happening. He's not cool with it happening. And yeah, now he's being tossed around by somebody who seems to be able to control all of this. There's even like TV segments in both of those things in Tetsuo and in Creepshow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's terrifying in a way for him. Not only terrifying what's happening to his body, he has no control over it and things. He's like a giant fucking magnet, really. Yeah. Everything's just, you know, transmogrifying onto him and into him and out. I'm inside him. Mm-hmm. He's barely human anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's got to hurt like hell. Oh, yeah. And you had, no, you had mentioned that he's just got this look of absolute agony on his face for almost the entire film. And it's yeah. totally true. And that's another very animated thing. The, the facial expressions that this guy has is just full on agony at almost all times. Even when he's happy, he looks like he's experiencing some sort of discomfort. Yeah, Absolutely. The rare times that he's happy because he's terrified. He's being attacked and he's being attacked from within. He's being attacked from without. He's being attacked by his environs. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. He acts it very, very well. No, yeah, it's fantastic. It's at this point that I would like to see a cosplay of Tetsuo because he could do it. This is about the coolest he looks. This is before he gets like a massive Katamari ball of all the metal things anywhere near him. Mm-hmm. But he is a little more built up and a little more like armored looking. At this point, was still like a vaguely human shape and body form, but almost like armament built up around him. During this fight, the fetishist shows Tetsuo through a vision the the ideal world that he wants to create, one made entirely of metal, the entire planet metal, and all people being it consumed and destroyed by metal and turning to rust and turning to rust and then just destroying ultimate destruction for whatever reason is what the fetishist is after in their in their fight that takes place over a few blocks poor japan like they go running down streets and like bicycles get all fucking crunched up into balls and stuff Mm -hmm. like the visuals are pretty cool like if this would have been a larger like a michael bay kind of movie this is like doc op rampaging down Mm -hmm. new york streets you know Mm -hmm. and destroying fucking everything this is the 16 millimeter handheld two filmmakers kind of like vision of this yeah no absolutely kind of reminded me of uh old comedic french films from the 20s as well in a way where they speed everything up to you know get some sort of kinetic excitement and be able to do things that are like defying of gravity and physics i I think that's why i like tetsuo 2 the body hammer is just because it's this with more money Yeah, yeah so it's it's interesting to see what the director was able to do with a chunkier budget yeah because because this movie is all his vision and camera tricks are there. You see some very oh, yeah. uh, Sam Raimi-esque camera yeah, tricks. Yeah, you yeah. see that defying of physics through, you know, pausing or like rapid frame rates and stuff like that. Yeah. It's really, really, really stop well animation that way. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially they're chasing and fighting through the streets. Now, there comes a, a sequence which is really, it's always confused me. I've seen this movie a couple of times. Um and I was hoping that I would kind of be able to piece it together as we were watching it today, so I wouldn't sound like such a goober. But uh, so they the goober is what we get. Goober is what we get. So we get this sequence where they're fighting in the streets, and 
all of a sudden they encounter uh, like a, a a dusty vagrant. Yeah, this derelict. This derelict who seems to be able. I would uh, like. Since this is so influenced by like what's the, the director himself has said that I am influ I am being influenced by Akira, which is anime, and there's a lot of anime elements in this because like just uh, tropes and 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 what we've talked about that you brought to my attention that I never even noticed before. But if we're sticking to that theme, then this would have to be like if this was a series, this would be the good version of the fetishist. Because he seems to grow that pipe out of his hand and be able to use it as a weapon and not be all consumed by metal. So he somehow is the ideal version who would like train Tetsuo to like control his powers or something like that. Because that's what you do. It's like, oh, the bad guy shows up and he knows all these powers and abilities that you don't know and he's kicking your fucking ass. Well, you need to train up to be able to beat that guy. And in the meantime, this old master is going to show up who I guess looks like a vagrant in, in this case and make like a pipe. And he even does like this. I'm not just going to run over and hit you with my pipe. I'm going to like run it across the wall and then I'm going to hit you with it. Just, yeah, a little bit of playfulness. Yeah, just a little bit so of the confident with his power. Yeah, just a little bit of theatrics and then beats uh, the fetishist down and wins that fight and, and breaks it up between the two of them. And you would almost assume that, oh, he's dead now because he gets all consumed by the rust and then uh, degenerates himself. What we don't know is that his powers uh, are evolved beyond that from really even relying on his body. So, so, but then that <laughs> that character, that guy, that old that older fellow with the mustache and the hat and the backpack, he, he looks cool, but. He's done. That's it. He's <laughs> yeah. Which there's no real real closure there. But if this was all a delusion of a poor schizophrenic homeless man that's masturbating beside a dumpster from the word go, I just think that he tried to touch the other guy's whiskey bottle and got pounded with a piece of metal, and then the vagrant walked away and left our poor masturbating schizophrenic delusion person by the dumpster to breathe another day and have yet another vision of the fetishist i like my anime explanation better i like my moment of clarity in a land of delusion theory better so now tetsuo is beaten against the rocks uh, metaphorically speaking and leaning up against a big pile of metal because he is a big pile of metal literally speaking yeah now he's camouflaged now he's camouflaged <laughs> like arnold schwarzenegger and predator or just like, like john cena there. all the time can't see me but the fetishist can see him because oh shit you thought that dude was down he ain't down he ain't out he's there and he does something which is my favorite fucking thing in this whole damn movie he detaches his arm and his whole arm becomes a goddamn buster cannon and he's gonna just fucking shoot flames and it's so fucking badass you know this movie's working when you see a huge swinging electromagnet in the roof and you get scared for tetsuo yeah yeah that's when i was like not that this movie wasn't working at all it's totally working for me from the first frame but that's when i was like oh wow they've really got all the elements in a row here even though it is, what is it, hyperkinetic? Is that what it says on the front of the box? 
Yeah, the front of the box says hyperkinetic. Stephen Holding from the New York Times, one word blurb for the box art. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that William Gibson had a little more coherent thought. Gorgeously deranged cinema. From the father of cyberpunk. From the father of uh, cyberpunk. You know what? Good enough for William Gibson. Good enough for me. Yeah. So it's definitely working on a storytelling level, definitely working on a visual level, and it's definitely working on a giant gun growing out of your hand level. Oh, man. I'm so into it. Now, this is where we get a really important piece of the plot. The fetishist reveals that in his transformation, in his creation, when he jammed that metal rod into his thigh, what he did not count on was the fact that the metal that he used had already begun to rust. That means that he is a tainted version of what he was trying to create. It means either that he's on borrowed time and this won't last, or it means that he's not as powerful or his potential is not as far-reaching as somebody like Tetsuo. Or he doesn't look as good. This is when I wish that this at least a minute of this was in color so we could see just how hideously rusted and orange and brown and flaky and powdery that the fetishist would look and how sexy and shiny and new that's what i got out of it more not as much that he's living on borrowed time which is an excellent point and definitely probably true and that he probably won't live to see his you know full realization Mm -hmm. of his world turn to rust um but I think it's also another level of jealousy where he's like, you look way shinier and sexier than I do. And the reason for that is, is because what sparked Tetsuo's transformation, the fetishist's powers, sure, had a hand in that. But his first piece of metal lodged into his body was stainless steel, which means that he'll be forever sexy. Yeah, he's impervious to rust. So this is the fetishist must destroy Tetsuo out of jealousy, like you had said. And with his big buster arm, he tries to destroy Tetsuo as Tetsuo's evolution is just accelerating. Every time Tetsuo's in danger, or if he's in physical harm, either from his his now deceased girlfriend that was trying to fight him off and kill him, or the fetishist himself using his powers against him, every time he gets damaged, more metal forms around him, he becomes bigger. Again, it's the metal trying to protect Tetsuo, trying to keep him safe trying to keep him alive, even if he's not doing it deliberately. But this is the first time where you get an idea that in his desperation, Tetsuo finds at least the ability to realize probably the greatest power that he has, and that is if there are other uh, fetishists like his antagonist in this film, he has the ability to absorb that person. Yeah, you get a clearer look at his regenerative capabilities as well and how he heals because mm-hmm. of, he is getting wounded during these battles. But yeah, this this final coup de grace where he's... I think this is the first time he's actually learning to use his power as well. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty big lesson to learn right away. Yeah. Yeah, but I baby mean, steps for Tetsuo. No, but I mean, you know, we don't have a lot of time where we got to keep moving forward. This is a very tight film. So when they finally... I suppose for lack of a better term, the fetishist enters Tetsuo's body and they play it out for all it's worth because inside, like once this merging of these two characters happens after a few minutes of wires whipping around and and holes opening up and characters getting uh, consumed and heads elongating and moving all over the place, the effects in this scene 
are mind bending, considering what the what the what these people had to work with and the time that it was taken. You know, uh, there's similar scenes in some sci-fi that's full color and big budget. Yeah. Oh man, if, if you were to sh- if you were to make this movie now, it'd all be CGI, and you wouldn't even think about it. You'd just be like, yeah, yeah it's just. Although one of the effects that are mind blowing, I have to use air quotes there. It seems to me that they're putting the camera through a big tube of cellophane at an accelerated rate. Well, I think it looks cool. It does look totally cool. I'm talking more about like the heads, the heads moving around. I thought that looked really cool. That's what I'm saying. That's really oh, okay. more what okay. I'm talking about. Yeah, that's that's more like it. It's true. You're so definitely right. once we're inside, we get another very anime thing where it's just when they've merged together, the two men are there looking at each other naked. Um, Almost embryonic. Yeah, because they're they're connected now. Their arms are connected together. Like a, an umbilical cord almost. Yeah. And they're just sort of like floating in space almost. Like, and they're just kind of like looking at each other. And then they, they fucking, their ultimate form, they've become Voltron. They fuse into this two-headed giant metal dick and are now on the same page. Tetsuo and the fetishist both now have the similar desire to completely cover the earth in metal and then make it rust and then the ash will spread through the cosmos. Yeah, Tessa was totally on board. He doesn't look very convinced. So if you look at his face, he still has this look of agony constantly just fucking welded on his face. It's all, mm. he looks like he's in agony. And there's this one point where the fetishist asks him a question and his only response is like drooling, something that looks like a lot of jizz. Yeah. Like, okay, so but he's on board. Because he's know. like, let's do it. Yeah, that look, the final look of Tatsuo basically when he's melded into this being now, this final form. Uh, as soon as I saw his slack look of his face with the jizz drooling out of his mouth or whatever it was, um, then I'm like, he's definitely sitting behind a dumpster whacking off. Why would he be doing that? Because it's just all a delusion. This isn't actually happening. And this doesn't sound unlike schizophrenic delusions. This is what a paranoid schizophrenic, when it's untreated, full-blown, when they have almost gone catatonic, this is what's playing, like, not this specifically. Just watching Tetsuo over and over again. Pretty cool delusion. Gotta give them that. But it's this sort of thing, and it usually starts really small. I was listening to um, Last Podcast on the Left, and they were talking about manifestos, and they go through two other manifestos. But they talk about this one manifesto of a guy that was these, um, the aliens, um, blowjob giving aliens, relentlessly blowjob giving. They were giving them blowjobs way too much. So like you get a blowjob, you come and the alien doesn't stop blowing you and try and like tries to push you through the pain. For hours and it's painful. Yeah. And relentless and scary. And he keeps getting these amazing erections. It's horrible. It's hell, hell on earth. So he had to write this giant manifesto about these aliens, and he threw it over the White House wall. Um, he'd killed a, or tried to kill somebody right before that. I forget the guy's name, but it was like they're going through his manifesto and what he was describing, that he was like not crazy at all and that these aliens were definitely everywhere and they're reptilian creatures of some sort. He can barely describe, but he drew some pictures, and they sort of look like Muppets because they actually have styled themselves styled elmo uh, on themselves so that we would get acclimatized to the way they look you know those sorts of really crazy things 
I'd like you to know that all you've done is infected my fucking brain with the idea of Elmo blowing me relentlessly. Sorry. I'm a mess right now. (laughs) I'm having a fucking full-blown panic attack. Imagine being schizophrenic. Oh, my God. That's sort of how it feels. But these little tiny, these things that were going on in his mind were manifested in the real life because somebody would look at him weird on a plane ride and hold up their newspaper just so, and he could read the headline, and he was all like, oh, my God, this is a secret job interview. Hmm. But that's what, maybe because I've been listening to this podcast, or maybe because I've been paying very close attention to schizophrenic since having to live with a bunch of them when I was little, that it just seems to me that this is all a grand delusion, that poor Tatsuo has had a full collapse of the mind. I would be on board with that, only because I'd feel I feel bad for the dude and his lady and I and even the the fetishist who got hit by a car. So I'd be glad if none of this was actually real. But I don't want it to not be real because there's two sequels after this. So you know this world exists and these things are happening. Mm, I think I'm gonna write the real world version of Tatsuo. It will be so sad. <laughs> Anyway, that's just my fun theory. Anyway, it helped me get through what was like an amazing film, and I really, really enjoyed every minute of it, but -hmm. it was like the second movie I had playing behind my eyes. I definitely want to see the sequels now, though. That's for sure. Uh, Yeah. uh, Like I said, the third one doesn't really do it for me, but it's not a bad movie, but uh, I really like the second one. The same guy did the music, too, and that's a huge draw for me because um, we talked a a lot about it at the beginning, but the music does punctuate so many of these amazing scenes with this really abrasive and awesome industrial score and let me tell you at 67 minutes you'd be like wow that's that's a little longer than an episode of the west wing let me tell you talk about a movie that you do not need like it's like at the 67 minutes you're fucking exhausted like there's so much visual stimulation going on for that entire time you're you're done (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. like you're done. After three consecutive Elmo blowjobs, you're done. I'm so sorry. <laughs> they had said that um, Shinya Sukamoto had posh, uh, had uh, when posed a question about his fascination with this idea um, about why he the idea of um, people turning to metal and why that appealed to him so much. A lot of it came from the fact that when he was much younger, uh, where he grew up in Japan. There was a lot of farmland and fields, and then as he was getting older, he just watched as the city encroached over all of it, and you know things get paved over, sky rises, rise, and he just said it's kind of like that, just watching nature and stuff get consumed by metal. So the idea of the world being consumed by metal was a very real thing for him. So that's why I really dig this early work of his. I mean, before this, the, the dude was shooting on like Super 8. And so this is his first 16 millimeter film. And then all of a sudden this takes off and then he's making all kinds of other movies. I mean, the the dude has not stopped working. He's very prolific. So it's always nice to go back, especially uh, in this unique take of body horror. Like when I wanted to do body horror, I was like, man, I really don't want to go to the usual suspects. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too, because when you say body horror, many people just think, you know, uh, second heads growing out of your chest, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or or Cronenberg's The Fly. And let me let me. I love those flicks, but I just think that, especially for splatter pictures and and for the Dead Air podcast, it's always about let's try to find 
the thing that you didn't even know you wanted. Yeah. And thank you for that because it definitely was. And I like this as this is probably going to be one of my more favorite body horror entries because mm. I, you really can relate to, even though it's not fully organic, you can really relate to his reluctance, his fear, his uncertainty, his terror, mm-hmm. everything that he's going through. And which is all the things that a good body horror needs to provide. And not only that, but the rapid pace of the film, the rapid pace of his transformation, not giving him time. I mean, there's other body horror films out there where there is this sort of transformation, the fly, for example, um, where it's very slow and gradual and and even though that's an interesting take too because it's it's technology changing a, a man and then him knowing how this technology works and then fighting against himself and his fly nature taking over his brain to try to stop that that's cool because it's a race against the clock and every day you're losing or like thinner it's like every day you're losing mm-hmm. right and so you have to keep fighting but this is you you woke up one day And by lunch, you're not even a human being anymore. That's crazy to me. And that is, that is this relentless, that is the relentlessness that this movie presents to you. It's relentless as you watch it. It's relentless for the characters. And because it's so fast paced and exhausting, even at 67 minutes, you're fucking just done. And you're like, I don't know what's happening. What's going on? Good. You're not, because you don't know. You're finding out almost in real time with Tetsuo what the fuck is happening. Yeah, pretty much. And that's, I was just going to say, that's kind of how it's relayed. It's not that confusing, really, if you're paying attention, of course. No, 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 exactly. But for fuck's sake, you got up for two seconds. And I was like, Lydia, we got to stop. Yeah, (laughs) and I had to rewind. And I knew I would. And it was one of, yeah, definitely for 67 minutes, there's no point when you can get up. There's no point when you can turn the tap off because the fucking thing is dripping. Like, I knew that I was going to miss something and it was take my chances and not pause it or pause it. Like, what's the point? Uh, I'd have to rewind it probably anyway Mm. because you want to sort of stay in that narrative stream. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it is super, super action packed and the narrative is super tightly packed Mm -hmm. and it is all hyperkinetic. So there's no reason to ever like there's no point where you're going to like look at your phone or run down and check on the laundry. Who has time? This movie is like you're watching this. So it's convenient for busy people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you only got 67 minutes to the button and want it to be full as full as you can with narrative and really cool cyberpunk imagery and sound and really cool body horror Mm -hmm. transformations anime influenced fight scenes if you like anime if you like cyberpunk if you like like industrial if you like body horror you're massive drill dicks yeah i know go go gadget dicks fuck i know the only thing we don't see is an actual fucking dick weird when you think about it no titties either i thought i saw a glimpse but maybe i was just hopeful Probably. They might have just been, you know, like little lug nuts or something just sitting. I see a lot of thigh. Yeah. Juicy thigh. A lot of juicy Uh, thigh. like that. No no deck. No no Full frontal male. But you know what? If you uh, have my latest and greatest fetish of robots, a big drill dick might be your thing. So what do we got next for him? Next we have From Beyond. You see, I thought that if we were going to do some body horror and a lot of you guys were going to get excited about doing body horror and you're like, Tetsuo, Metal, don't you fret because I got an ooey gooey body horror movie just for you guys by the same folks that brought you Reanimator. And I'm really glad that we went in this direction with them instead of From Beyond First, which is really like a classic 
in this genre mm-hmm. to Tetsuo, which would be an unsung gem underdog mm-hmm. film, really. I'd like. I'm glad that we've covered them in this order as mm-hmm. well. So it also gets me a little more excited for From Beyond, which sounds kind of backwards, but it's very true. <laughs> I'm a backwards kind of girl. That's why I like you. And it doesn't have anyone fucking putting forks in their teeth or anything. It's disgusting. I. Ugh. It's crazy to me that when you look at Tetsuo and you look at From Beyond, and you're like Tetsuo is grosser because of the metal in the teeth. Yeah. Oh, completely. Totally. I don't think there's anything that'll make me even bad an eyelash through from beyond like at all there's nothing really that makes me cringe at all i wasn't i was beyond cringing that was pathetic it was pretty great like a crab on hot sand that's how i feel a crab on hot sand (laughs) and on that note i'm Wes Knight. and we've talked longer than the duration of this film on that second note i'm Wes Knight. and i'm typical idea and you've been listening to dead air